put on some cat butt, do it upright. No need to get all caught up in society's stipulations. You're a member of the freak generation. They're gonna burn to have duration. They can talk so sarcastically They'll bust up, but we'll bust in Get that down, but up again With the feminine swings against With the big dozens open and shut So we'll be strolling back and forth, so what? With the feminine swings against With the big dozens open and shut Yeah, with the middle This is the secret genius of Robert Pollard. Back again, episode four. I'm Steve Schrader. And joining us for the second time is guest host Jake Longstreth. Welcome, Jake. Steve, thanks. Psyched to be back. You're welcome. Feels great. Thank you. We're we're recording... Uh, back in Los Angeles, California, where Jake lives. I don't live here. I live in Portland, Oregon. But in the last uh, eight days or something, I guess it is now, Jake and I have been on a journey, and a journey that is relative to this podcast. Jake and I have seen three concerts by the band Guided by Voices. Jake flew up to Portland, Oregon, and we saw a show at the Wonder Ballroom last Saturday night, and then... I flew down to uh, Los Angeles, and we saw a show in Los Angeles, in Hollywood, California, right on the Walk of Fame. Henry Fonda Theater. Henry Fonda Theater. And then the next night, we went down to Solana Beach, just north of San Diego, and wrapped up what was an epic trilogy of uh, Guided by Voices concert. At the Belly Up Tavern. Smallest venue that we saw them in on this tour. Really great place. So we're here to report to you, fine listener, that Robert Pollard and Guided by Voices are alive and kicking. They are not dead. Surprisingly. No. We were remarking just a minute ago, Steve, that 10 years ago, 2004, when they when, when Pollard was closing up shop on the Guided by Voices band slash brand and they did their farewell tour um, in, in, in 04 and you know the vibe on that tour was one of exhaustion and fatigue yes and both for audiences and band alike it felt like a permanent goodbye it really did it was sad and uh, but fun but it felt like it was like okay 
it's kind of time to let this go. Yep. The and band had been going pretty hard. And, and then they did the reunion tour. 2010. 2010, and that was like, oh, wow. They weren't playing any new material. They were playing all classic album era stuff. And that was fun, and it was like, one more chance. Yeah. This is it. Let's relive the old days. And it was explicitly sort of a reunion vibe of like only playing stuff from 92 to 96 with the original OG Dayton, Ohio guys. Tobin, Greg Damos, Mitch Mitchell, and at the time, Kevin Fennell. Right. But since 2010, the band was like, oh, this this is a good vibe. Let's we should get in the studio and see what happens. And they've put out six albums. <laughs> and so the shows we're seeing in 2014 is about half new material and half old material. Yeah. And actually I want to just interject quickly at the at the San Diego show, vis-a-vis the 2014-2004 sort of jump, Bob, who is now 56 years old, was like I have not been to San Diego in 10 years, and I was a young man. I was 46 years old <laughs> last time I was in San Diego, and it's stupid that it's taken me this long to get back here, which I thought was funny. That was funny. Jake. 50s. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed. At Had the to time. be there. No, no, no. It was funny. <clears throat> uh, yeah. Anyway, it does. They do. I mean, Pollard is an old dude up there, mm-hmm. but. He's a more powerful man than I. Getting up on the stage every night, and he is tearing it out. He does seem like one of those guys that would have been like a Civil War general <laughs> if he had lived in a different era. I don't understand his constitution or his flexibility. <laughs> no. Still doing those crazy kicks and like can legitimately touch his toes. When and his... kick his foot above his head. Exactly. I can't do that. Yeah. The... 20 years junior. The, the difference is the, the shows they're playing this time around are not quite the uh, Iron Man triathlons of uh, yesteryear. Of yesteryear. They're long shows. They're playing 45, 48 songs at some of them, uh, you know, from probably like 42 to 48, 50 songs. A lot of the songs are short. They're playing for about two hours. They used to play for. Generally about two and a half. Pushing three. Pushing three. And I loved those shows, but I have to say this is the right call right now to go at the two-hour concert. <laughs> totally. <laughs> they're, they're playing a lot of material, and uh, they're going hard in the paint. And for <laughs> Guided by Voices, health, and for my health, <laughs> and endurance yep. with going to three concerts, it was a perfect length. Yeah. At the end of every show, I was satiated, I, but I could have taken a couple more songs, and that's a perfect feeling. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was surprised after the Portland show. We left legitimately wanting a little more. We were like, they could have played another three, four songs. Yeah. Uh, anyway, what was the first song we played, Steve? Oh, great call. <laughs> that was Pendulum off of... Uh, same place the fly got smashed. Or 1990? 89? Was that the last uh, album before Propeller? I think so. Might have been. The last box era. The like hidden GBV, <clears throat> an island unto itself. Uh, what was the lyric that you caught in there, Jake? 
Oh, yeah. Uh, towards the end of Pendulum, he does shout out the lyric, We'll be middle-aged children, but so what? <laughs> Which I thought was sort of funny, because um, when Steve and I were thinking about seeing these shows together, we did sort of uh, self-consciously question one another about how, if it was ridiculous for us to see three Guided by Voices shows in the span of a week. And Steve said via text, Well, you're only 37 once. I'm only 36. Okay, well, 37. <laughs> uh, and the crowd was, you know, actually the crowd spanned from about 18-year-olds to Jimmy Buffett look-alike guys that were like 65. Yeah. So pretty amazing age diversity, but a lot of guys in their 30s and 40s, and it was a chance to be middle-aged children for a night. Yeah, that's true. And uh, in... One of the kind of concerns with Guided by Voices sort of in the late period of uh, the, the band's lifetime, before 2004, the, the audience mm -hmm. at the shows got a little dude-heavy and it just it felt a little bro-y and kind of like this dark escapism a little bit. Right, yeah. Towards the end, circa 03, 04, 02 even, those shows... It was about 95% men, and uh, the, the, the type of men that were <laughs> not, 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 distantly, not distantly related to Star Trek fans, mm -hmm. who were alcoholics. Or maybe like uh, beefy Star Trek fans. Right. The vibe got to be kind of a bummer in the last couple of years. And so that was a concern going in. Still huge fans of the material in the band. Sure. But so coming into the shows, we're pretty interested and in, uh, anticipating what the breakdown, gender breakdown would be and what the audience would look like. And I think after the Portland show, I was saying that I was surprised my coming in. I thought the gender breakdown would be about 87, 13 male to female. And I was really pleasantly surprised to see that it was something along the lines of 72, 28. <laughs> Great, great work for gender equality in the uh, <clears throat> old man indie rock game. Yeah, I mean, and the vibe overall was like not one of like pathetic, dark, um, alcoholic fans. Steve, I remember when we went to a show in the Crocodile Cafe in Seattle, I would say maybe 02, 01, somewhere in there. We were at the Mexican restaurant next door, and we were eating dinner. With John Joyce? No, no, no. Not John Joyce. Maybe it was Stan, even. Hmm. Wait, did... Oh, no, no, because John used to live in Seattle. Joyce rolled. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Maybe it was with John... Oh, dude, it was. Sorry, my bad. I fucked this up. John Joyce was at dinner with us in Seattle. What's up, John Joyce? He went to the, 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 the GBV show with us at the Crocodile. And I remember you remarking as you looked around the restaurant and it was clearly filled with other men going to this fucking Guided by Voices show. And you were like, I think GBV fans are the ugliest people on earth. And that night, I remember, Steve, was like a pretty heavy night for us because like we kind of like came to terms with the fact that the culture surrounding the band and the shows was, was, was degenerating into a pretty sad place that we didn't really want to be part of. And it's, for me, it was really alienating because, like, I mean, I think, I think for both of us, being such fans of the music and, like, the art of this man, 
But then it was sort of like feeling alienated from the culture that had sort of grown around it. Yeah. And it sort of really exempt, it really epitomized the sort of joys and pains of being a fan. You know, and I'm, I have not been a fan of many things in my life. Only like a handful of artists and musicians. Something that you devote huge chunks of time and energy to. It's sort of like, you know, and it's embarrassing to be like a, an adult and be a fan. Yes. It's a funny, funny place to be. And because it's embarrassing to, to, yeah, like devote sort of an inordinate amount of time and sort of just like unequivocally state, I love this art as if I were like a 15 year old. Because fandom is for teens and children mm-hmm. to get sort of lost and find an identity within something and like Completely. spend too much time. But yet we find ourselves at age, uh, in our mid to late 30s now, mm-hmm. um, yelling at the concert, begging them, <laughs> pleading with them to play a few more songs. Right. Yeah, I think I said that night at the Crocodile that we were too, we had gone too deep. Yep. And I remember you saying those words, and they were hard words to hear. <laughs> but because I, I, I totally knew you were right. We loved Guided by Voices. Uh-huh. And we're in. But so in, in that way, I think that you and I were both positioned uh, to think that the uh, the band ending in 04 was, was probably for the best. Mm-hmm. And... and it's really rad and cool that now it feels uh, rejuvenated in some ways. I mean, there's still, not to say that there's still some problematic things about the culture. Um, I actually wasn't really feeling it. What? I wasn't feeling the like sad bro drunk yeah. vibe really at all. I mean, there were a couple of drunk dudes, but like, yeah. And I actually was that. I was actually that guy at one point. Yeah. At the Portland show, I accident. I went and got some beers, and then was kind of like stealthily trying, at least attempting to be stealthy, kind of like zigzagging between people to get back up to Steve, and I totally dumped like a third of this PBR right on this woman, and her boyfriend, who was sort of like kind of sheltering her with his broad shoulders glared at me and I could see in his eyes that it was simultaneously you're a fucking dickhead <laughs> but also I get it we're at this show and she was like pretty upset and I was like but it was so loud and I was sort of mouthing the words I'm so sorry I'm I'm really sorry I didn't mean to do that well I and it ended up being okay the important part yeah no, it ended up the vibe was okay I think uh well uh, my girlfriend came with us to the show in Portland and she sort of had a similar experience. This, this dude like push getting really pushy uh, to get by her and sort of like, you know, putting his hands in places that you were probably you don't do with a stranger, just like small of the back and like a oh, weird uh, and sh- she and I saw it go down glaring at this dude and he was dead-eyed drunk oh bummer and it's just like oh was that's that, kind of gnarly was that the dude with the universal truth and cycles patch on his <laughs> jean jacket it wasn't those two rowdy dudes the, 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 like like there were two rowdy dudes that were borderline making out with each other yeah and and i did hear the the one dude i think 
The, I did hear the one dude like kind of loudly to the other dude like, "You will be my brother forever. I, I love yeah. you so much." You're right. You're right. I mean, you're right. That was some O three shit. Like that was I wasn't. Yeah. No, I. I think the amount of alcohol that happens is probably just a little too far. Right. Um, but it's totally fun. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, and Bob and himself think, has said about, it, in terms of his own drinking and his own performing, is that you have to go, I mean, as the band, you have to go too far some nights to know what a bad show is. <laughs> which I think is interesting. That he sort of like doesn't see it as a professional sort of like stayed professional performance that is static from night to night. Yeah. Well, and well, Bob, as far as Bob is known to really indulge and um, go there. And for the shows that we saw, it seemed like in Portland and in San Diego, he was like, he was doing it and going there, but it didn't really affect the thing. And then in Los Angeles, the show in between. Yeah. He was getting slurry and mushed mouth towards the end, yeah. which no. we've seen before. Yeah, and um, you know, it did it, affect the performance. I thought, like night two, I didn't think the singing was as good, and I thought he was—he showed up on stage drunk. Yeah, and I mean, it was like maybe like a ten percent sort of difference in the performance. Well, let's continue this conversation. Yeah, sorry, we're going after. Let's play some tunes. Few more songs. This one is Tomorrow Will Not Be Another Day off of Normal Happiness. Let me know just how you feel 
It's only up to you to break away and roll the Impression now. Classic, 1994, right in that classic era. That's from the uh, Fast Japanese Spin Cycle. 
seven inch slash C D E P. I had the C D of that. I think I have a I have a seven inch that I've had. That's so. dope. Oh thanks, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my impression now is a total classic. And before that we heard uh, it's only just It's only up to you. To you. <laughs> I'm a little off today, folks. God bless me <laughs> and you for listening. It's all good. <laughs> it's only up to you from <clears throat> suit, Suitcase 2. And uh, that was recorded in 1987. And kicked it off with Tomorrow Will Not Be Another Day 2006 from the Normal Happiness album under the Robert Pollard solo uh, moniker. Monic- Thank you, Jake. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Uh, 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 uh. Where were we? <laughs> we went to the shows. Okay, so we talked about Pollard. We talked about his drunkenness level. Right. Let's talk about the other members of the rock and roll band right now. Terrific. Beyond Rob Pollard, you have... Rob. Rob. <laughs> Is that what I said? <laughs> You've got... Tobin Sprout. You might know him as the George Harrison of Guided by Voices. (laughs) (laughs) They played like eight Tobin songs about. And Tobin is such a rad presence live. He's, he doesn't introduce his own songs that he sings. Right, right. Bob introduces them all the time. He doesn't do any banter. Zero. He's just holding it down. He's drinking about a beer and a half a show. Stayed and just thinking about his parts, doing his songs, being like the anchor. Yeah. And And, uh, his new new songs are great. Yeah. I've been surprised, frankly, listening to those newer GBV records, the last six records, how many great and frankly just kind of heartbreakingly beautiful songs Tillman Sprout has been writing at age 60. You think he's older than I think he's a little older. Whoa. I think he's 60 or 59 or something. Whoa. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty fond of of those. I really like that All-American Boy song off of Cool Planet, Mm -hmm. which they were playing. I love uh, Record Level Love. Oh yeah, that's a beautiful song. And I remember Bob being I think on we stage. We got it at two out of the three shows. Yeah, didn't get it in Diego. Oh bummer. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Bob being like, "That song's such a heartbreaker, Toby." <laughs> yeah. Like on stage, telling him. Yeah. Right now, ladies and gentlemen, Tobin Sprout's going to sing for you record level love. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, a cool thing is just how stoked the audience is on the old Tobin songs. Oh yeah. <clears throat> Like Pollard would introduce, say, oh, this is Esther's Day or Awful Bliss, and people would go crazy, just as crazy as any of the old Pollard songs. Yeah. And that is heartwarming because Sprout doesn't get enough love, but he was getting it. And it's so it's so rare to see a band with two songwriters, I feel like. Yeah. It really did feel like, oh, wow, this is like an old school model, like a Buckingham Knicks Lennon McCartney, like that kind of thing. But the uh, the spro the Sprout song the new Sprout song sounded killer. But to the greater fact, all of the new stuff sounded amazing. 
It yeah. sounded so in line. It sounded uh, just as killer as the old yeah. stuff. The only difference was crowd recognition. But the new stuff live sounded better than on record. And it sounded, the songwriting was there and it was just big. Agreed. Like right in the last couple of days since the shows, and I just have so many of those new songs running through my head. Yeah, vote for me, dummy. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, a lot of them. I w- well, I was thinking about this uh, when GBV ended initially in 0304, A lot of the new material they've been writing, the song lengths that sort of creeped up to about three or four minutes. Yes. And a lot of the new stuff, a lot of the songs are. A minute and a half. I would say at, at, at their longest, they're maybe two and a half minutes. Yeah. But most of them are kind of sub 120 seconds. And that, to me, um, really creates sort of like an interesting through line to the old material. Yes. And yeah, it was all really seamless. Yeah. It's like a song from 25 years ago and a song from the recorded in February are, are all the same exact sort of palette in a way that is... Um, really coherent and also really inspiring. Sort of how like, um, sort of like almost like 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 Neil Young, like Neil like like Neil Young has basically been doing the same thing for like forty years. Like Neil Young will record a record and write songs in much the same way he did thirty or forty years ago. And in a way, and he does it in a way that doesn't feel um, uh, stale and repetitive. It's just like Neil Young being Neil Young. And I feel like the same thing is happening with these last few records. Neil Young gotta be Neil Young. Yeah, exactly. Bob Pollard gotta be Bob Pollard. Boom. It's coming out. You can't stop it. No. Uh, and that's what this pod's about. <laughs> <laughs> so we have we talked about Tobin. Yeah. Then you have uh, Greg Damos. Attorney at law. Attorney at law who plays bass. And is known for wearing the famous uh, striped pants, bell-bottom pants. Right. And like a frilly kind of 70s shirt, button-up shirt. Kind of like a baggy shirt, pirate shirt. What's the Seinfeld episode? Uh, Puffy shirt. Puffy shirt. And he's the one who's like spinning around like a madman and by the end of each show is just drenched in sweat. He's got a lot of energy. He's fun to watch. Uh, he's screwing up old songs, <laughs> like Adam Forkner said the other night. <laughs> and you're happy for it. Yeah, I would say holding it down for the most part, and then in a somewhat charming way, just flubbing some yeah. crucial shit. He does a lot of like pointing his bass at audience members and like mouthing along to songs. He's never on mic, though. Uh, and then stage left, Mitch Mitchell on guitar. Mitch Mitchell. Wearing a Guided by Voices t-shirt at every show. Well, at two of the shows wearing a Guided by Voices oh, yeah. shirt. In L.A. wearing a black t-shirt that just had a huge anarchy symbol on it. <laughs> Who is just like rock and roll 101. Uh-huh. <laughs> Shane Smoke literally was not seen on stage without a cigarette in his mouth. Puffing the whole time. And is, uh, you know, a pretty, uh, as Stan McMahon would say, a rudimentary guitarist. <laughs> but 
uh, Jake was bringing, say, uh, pointing out that he has some subtle tricks and he brings some nice elements to some songs. Yeah. And it's really nice to see Bob and Mitch, who are old school, like childhood friends, yeah. like really actually enjoying each other up there. They're doing this weird joke with these uh, really terrible laws and ooze. Falsettos. Falsettos on songs and Mitchell provides some backup some terrible back backup vocals <laughs> and it seems to bring great delight to Robert Pollard and if we're painting a picture of the band that's maybe a little cartoony this is sort of like part of the strength of GBV because the overall sound is of like a completely on it rock band high energy rock show and like and I guess like that's part of like what makes GBV so captivating is that they, they really toe the line between almost completely blowing it and then somehow just playing it just well enough with yeah. a ton of energy to be able to pull it off. Kind of like a Stones vibe or how I imagine the Stones would have been in like 1970 or whatever. The most competent musician in the band is drummer Kevin March. <laughs> At this point, who replaced Kevin Fennell last year and is, you know, he's he's just solid and a, yeah. a good drummer, probably the least cartoony of the, yeah. of the members. But he sort of does elevate uh, the musicianship a little bit. and Just a solid backbone. Yeah. Fennell. Not idiosyncratic. Leaves a little to be desired, left a little to be desired. And, and March brings it up to another level. Totally. He's not going to be your favorite drummer but he's going to make your favorite band a little better yeah i mean and all the musicianship in gbv is like it's not i mean it's about the songs it's about the show it's about the singing i mean none of the guitar playing it's it's you know yeah mitch mitchell in one song plays like a humorously oh teenage fbi like when doug gillard was in the band just shredding a Incredibly professional and triumphant solo. Maybe not the the like most personality filled solo, but like powerful, and you would get pumped. But Mitchell on that same solo is shits the bed every time. (laughs) But you're happy, Mitch Mitchell's up there. Uh, uh, Should we get into some more tunes, dude? Yeah. All right. We got more to play. Here is a song also from Suitcase 2, uh, but it's from 1995, and it was um, it was going to be on an album in, in the um, Under the Bushes, Under the Stars uh, time period. There was a, a, a boarded album called The Power of Suck that this was uh, proposed to be on. And then there was another aborted album title I saw here, Listed, what was it called? Oh, Mustard Man and Mother Monkey. <laughs> I've never heard of that. That's really... <laughs> but this is a song called <clears throat> I Am Decided, and it is uh, was actually reworked and appeared on an album by the band called The Amps, which was Kim Deal's band in, I, I think, in like 96, 7... 
2008, maybe, they put out an album uh, called Pacer, and this was on that album, this song, in like a reworked version. I really like that recording. I really like this recording. I think it's a, a, a good one. So here's I Am Decided.
Seven Strokes to Heaven's Edge as an outtake from a self-inflicted aerial nostalgia, 1989, and that appeared on the Hardcore UFOs box set. Uh, before that, we heard Submarine Teams from Kid Marine, the epic opener to Kid Marine, five-minute song. What year is Kid Marine, Jake? 1999, number one <laughs> on the Fading Captain series. <laughs> One of my favorite Pollard solo records. Oh, yeah. It is so, like, conceptually <clears throat> tight. See, I think you told me once, or I read this once, that Kid Marine is, uh, yeah, basically a concept record about the day in the life of a typical Ohio man. Whoa. And Far Out Crops, which is on that record, which is, which is about, oh, yeah. like, coupons. Clipping and saving. And, of course, Television Prison. Yeah. He's thinking about guys playing lottery, watching TV all day. But it's done, I mean, it's, you would never know that sort of listening to the record. It's all sort of oblique and poetic. And then you get that sense that it's about... Medic uh, Power Blessings. Right. Which is one of the most beautiful Pollard songs there is. Which I believe we played in the last podcast. Uh, probably. Before... I have no recollection of that. <laughs> We open that set with I Am Decided, the Robert Pollard song. Uh, the Pollard written song that the Amps, Kim Deal, put on her album in 1996 or 7. They kind of reworked it. I don't think it was credited to Pollard in the liner notes. I think maybe there was some beef or who knows what was going on. Hmm. But that was probably from around the same time that she was. she recorded some of the songs from Under the Bushes, Under the Stairs. Star, is it stars or Star, stairs? Stars. <laughs> God. God. <laughs> Dang. Dang, man. On the track to a rape <laughs> chain, yeah. One thing that happens at GBV <clears throat> concerts is you get to see Robert Pollard doing these um, vocal runs or like additions on the classic. Uh, songs like additions that have sort of become part of the live versions of songs where he's sort of vamping. Freestyling, yeah. Freestyling and sort of like showing off a little more of his vocal range in a old school rock and roll, early R&B style. Right. And it's one of my favorite parts of a GBV show. It emphasizes the sort of like wholesome rock and roll kind of bar band aspect. Where he's like not less, you know, on record, the the melodies are very deliberate, artful, tasteful, yeah, um, deliberately idiosyncratic and weird. Live show, he'll just kind of let it hang out and like I'm a rock singer. Yeah, you can see him emulating the Roger Daltrey and and those who meatloaf, <laughs> whoever. I mean. <laughs> Bob Seger. Marvin Gaye. <laughs> sure. And those people who he saw as a young man as being heroes. Right. Marvin Gaye. 
David Gay doesn't really go on runs. He's pretty restrained. Well, he he belts it out later, Gay. I'm sure I'm sure live. <laughs> I'm talking about live Marvin Gay at this point. Yeah, uh, welcome to uh, uh, Dorkville, <laughs> population two. Heard it through the uh, Gay Vine, the Marvin Gay podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, <laughs> what are we talking about? I don't know, man. We've been going deep on these shows. Yes. Jake, uh, do you think you will ever go to another Guided by Voices show? If they tour again, I will go. <laughs> I, it would, I, I'll be surprised if they do another West Coast leg. Um, if they like play one show in New York, will I fly out there to see it? No. Yeah. But what? you're if you were to bet you would you would bet against them doing another full scale tour? Yeah. Yeah. I really I mean we were talking about it with Kyle and Steve you made the call. This is sort of like late period Grateful Dead or something. Not saying that someone's going to die. I just feel like I feel like we were uh, blessed We're all going to die, Jake. I feel like we were blessed <laughs> to have this opportunity. Yes. I, I just don't, I don't, I was surprised that they did these West Coast tour dates. Yeah. Thrilled. I just don't, I don't see it as like a regular thing. Damn, son. What about you, dude? Well, I kind of see them going out one more time, maybe in two years, maybe in 2016. Do you think they would do it as a, like, we're going to announce this as the last tour again, or just kind of go out, or just. I don't know. I feel like Pollard is into a little bit of that pomp mm-hmm. of, you know, the electrifying conclusion and sure. the re- and the re- classic lineup reunion. So I feel like he would announce that. But yeah, maybe in 2016. All right, we're getting 58 year old Pollard. Oh, he can do it in two, man. Oh, I'm sure he could. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why. I, I just yeah, he doesn't. It's not like he needs to tour. Because he he puts out albums and they run their own <clears throat> record label now and they get all the money. <laughs> In L.A. on the on stage, Pollard was sort of going off about record labels and how they put out their own stuff and how great it is that they get all the money and nobody else gets all the money. Coldplay doesn't get all the money. Black Keys don't get all the money. <laughs> you kids like the Black Stripes. <laughs> If you're a band, you gotta have a lot of songs, and you have a lot have to have a lot of good songs, like the Turtles. <laughs> At this point, for our audience, Steve and I are just quoting our memory of some of the classic banter. Bob loves talking shit, which is funny because in that Little League Possible song, uh, there's a line of how you don't have to talk smack. Hmm. Don't have to talk smack in the littlest league possible. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. <laughs> you know what? I was I was wishing I was surprised they didn't play from Cool Planet. Bad love is easy to do, which is like a single. One of the singles. Yeah. One of the few songs that maybe the only song that Bob and Tobin share lead vocals on. Oh, yeah. They trade. Like a, like a duet. Like a Simon and a Garfunkels. Well, I don't know. 
that's maybe not even a good example. Yeah, Garfunkel <laughs> didn't take lead. Ever? Ex well, he did on Bridge Over Troubled Water. Oh, cool. But, yeah. <laughs> okay. Should we do some more songs, Steve? Yes.
That song is called Beneath a Festering Moon, 1995 or 6. It was on an aborted album <laughs> called The Flying Party Is Here around the same time of Ut Butts. And, um, but then it was on a compilation CD that I had around that same time uh, that was like a benefit for this club in Chicago that was closing called Lounge Axe. Before that, we heard Paradise Style from Fiction Man. 2006. Maybe five? Maybe five. Six or five. One of those Pollard one minute songs. A blast. A bunch of different weird chord changes in it. Of joy. Do it Paradise Style. Opened it off with Wrinkled Ghost from Waved Out. 1998. Robert Pollard's second solo album. Matador Records. <laughs> and I remember uh, Jake and his friend Jared Rodriguez, a.k.a. Gus, drove across the country and pulled up to my house in the summer of 1998 in Portland, Oregon. And probably within 10 minutes, I was like, Jake, we got to listen to this new Pollard together. <laughs> it had just come out. I was really excited about the album and forced him to listen to it. You throw and waved out. I remember it sounded really dense. I remember Make You sounded really like incoherent and like yeah. crazy. It is kind of dense. Yeah. And uh, then after like three listens, I was like, oh, okay. I get this. I'm in. But uh, <clears throat> I think we're going to leave it there for today. I, I want to ask you a final question, Jake. What or are you, were you, what were your expectations met at the GBV concerts, what are you left with as a lasting thought about the three shows we went to? Expectations were exceeded. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, given that we we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, I mean, given the way they went out in 04 with this kind of like exhaustion vibe, I was a little, and then we bought tickets to three concerts in 2014. Yeah. And, you know, going in, we were a little concerned, like, what if this first show in Portland sucks? Could have gone the other way. And so I went in with kind of, I wanted to keep my expectations at bay. Went in with kind of low expectations. I mean, not low expectations. I just kind of went in with a slight degree of skepticism, you know, mixed in with my obvious love. Yeah. And... Like we discussed, the energy was great. The performances are great. The set lists are great. So yeah, I mean, and seeing three shows, it was they were so consistent. I don't know how Bob Pollard does that night to night. Um, I think he's of a different constitution than than most people. <laughs> I'm serious. I don't. Yeah. No, I, I agree. It's <laughs> that's good Midwestern stock. <laughs> Maybe getting up every morning at six a.m. to teach grade school all those years. I don't know what it was, but he's just. I'm right there with you. Mm -hmm. I uh, thank you for going on the journey with me. And we'll be Super back fun. next week to break down each set list song by song. <laughs> give grades on the performances. No, but we'll be back at some point. We're going to leave you with a couple songs. First is, uh, what did I say we were going to play? Oh, A Good Circuitry Soldier. Oh, that's a classic. What do you know about that song, Jake? I know it's off Suitcase One. Suitcase One. It's like a live recording from like a BBC session, I think. Maybe a Peel session. Oh, wow. You think? Interesting. I think it is. I didn't know that. Bob okay. starts it off by her, says... This is like, a gem. This is a gem. I don't know what's going to happen with this one. Mm -hmm. I uh, love that song. And then uh, we'll close it out with um, Dig Through My Window. 
Dig through my window off the Pipe Dreams of Instant Prince Whippet EP, which was that like Look, do the collapse? No, no, I think those those are all the B sides off from Universal Truth and Cycles. Oh, yes, I think. you nailed it. Yeah, which oh, is a really good collection. Oh, two, somewhere in there. Yeah. That's it. Thank you for listening, and the club is open. Here's a gem. This is a song called "A Good Circuitry Soldier." I don't know what'll happen with this, but. journey